to The Juice and the Squeeze. I'm Julia Strand, here with my co-host, Jonathan Peel. Hi, Jonathan. Hi, Julia. So last time, we ended talking about uh, saying no and the importance of uh, choosing our no's wisely. And our challenge for this time was uh, to say no to something. How, how'd you do? I did pretty well, actually. And also, I want to remind everyone that you cheated uh, a little bit because you actually said no during the podcast. So technically, did. you did not have to say any no's between last time and this time. Well, I'm a go-getter. I did some extra credit. <laughs> you above and beyond. You're an overachiever. I did. <laughs> uh, so I, I, they're very boring no's, but I got asked to um, review a book proposal. And I said no to that. It sounded like an interesting book, but I didn't have time. Got asked to review a manuscript. I said no to that. And... I also, uh, I shouldn't admit this, but I said yes to like two new grant ideas with collaborators. So it was like, if I balanced out the no's and the yeses, I think I lost. But if the challenge was just to say no, uh, then I did okay. I think the challenge was to make a good choice about being selective. I'm going to, great. I'm going to go with that. I did I think that. you did that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I also turned down some similar things um, that that didn't seem like they were going to be terribly beneficial for me, and I didn't think that I was uniquely qualified to do. And I had, you know, too many other done too many other similar things recently, so also kind of boring ones. Um, I also did say yes to this wonderful idea that a student had about a project to help people who were teaching uh, about open science in introductory psychology courses. And I said yes to that. And she said, are you sure you have time for this? That seems like a big project. And I was thinking about this and, you know, potentially having to uh, come back and follow up about being selective. Mm-hmm. Um, but I decided it was one of those things that m- made it over the threshold, you know, that uh-huh. was going to be that I was excited about and was going to be useful and was going to be helpful. And um, so I think, yeah, the challenge was about being selective, not just, you know, looking for all the possible opportunities to say no. Great. Yeah. Good. But well done. <laughs> uh, listeners, I hope you uh, hope you were able to do the same. That's right. And if mm-hmm. uh, you want to email us and let us know how you did, please do that. We're always happy to read your email. You can click on the contact link on our website, juiceandsqueeze.net, and we'll get that email. So today, the topic at hand is uh, talking about going to conferences why we go to them, what we do with them, which ones we decide to go to. Um, I'm going to be attending uh, Psychonomics, which is one of the big experimental psych conferences um, that will uh, happen just a couple of weeks after this episode comes out. And I thought that it might be nice to talk a little bit about our strategies for approaching conferences. And I feel like every time I have a conversation with someone about what they do at conferences and how they like it, I learned more about what I should be doing. And so uh, I'm eager to hear what, what you have to say about it too, Jonathan. Yeah, good. I, I mean, just to start with, do you think it was surprising to people? Was it surprising to you that, that you need to strategize at a conference? Yeah, like maybe before I had gone to one, I would I might have been surprised by that, right? That like mm-hmm. conferences, surely you just, they, you, you go sit in a room you, and they tell right. you things and then you learn. Um, but that's not that's not how they actually work. I mean... You do sit in rooms and people tell you things and you learn, but that's that's not the only important stuff to do or think about at conferences. So when was the time that you realized you had to strategize? Um, so my the first conference that I went to would have been my first or second year of grad school. Um, and I was 
just wholly overwhelmed. You know, thousands of people standing around talking about science. Um, I, I didn't know what I was, well, I thought I was supposed to do everything. I thought I was supposed to go to every single session and visit every single poster um, and ended up feeling very overwhelmed um, and, and probably not getting a ton out of it because I didn't approach it strategically and, and d- didn't know what I should have been doing. Uh, and so then in subsequent ones, this has kind of been something that I've been, you know, figuring out over the years, um, that, that the way that you approach it can dictate a lot of what you get out of it. Mm-hmm. And I think I had a similar experience. So my my first scientific conference was uh, during my PhD. Uh, the program paid for graduate students to go to uh, Society for Neuroscience, the uh, SFN annual meeting. And I, I forget. Anyway, it's huge. So it was like you know, 25,000 people uh, in a convention center. And I also felt really obligated to go to everything because the program was paying for it. And so I went to every single presidential lecture and symposia and everything, uh, and they were so in-depth and they were all over my head. And I was completely exhausted, um, you know, didn't remember most of what I saw. And also, I didn't really interact with a lot of other people because I was just getting to know people in my program and I didn't, I just didn't know a lot of people there. So it was, in many ways, it was formative in kind of imprinting this like large conference uh, perspective and the need for strategizing, but it was also totally unlike every conference I've gone to since then, you know, partly because mm-hmm. I've gotten a little more experience in the field and partly because I've strategized. So it, it was okay, but I would say I enjoy conferences a lot more now uh, than I did then. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I also, in in my early years of going to conferences, um, just spent the whole time feeling imposter syndrome and inadequate, and surely everyone else in this room is understanding everything the speaker is saying. Why can't I? Um, and and uh, I don't. Uh, first, I don't think that's true, right? Like, I think uh, mm-hmm. when I go to talks, there are still plenty of things that I don't understand, um, and and I think that's the case for many people. But but kind of gaining the confidence to to believe that is something that took some time for me. Mm-hmm. Well, so maybe a good place to start would be, you know, what conferences do we go to and why do we mm-hmm. go? Mm-hmm. Um, so my favorite conference is the Society for the Improvement of Psychological Science or SIPS conference. Um, and that happens every summer. Um, and what I really like about that one is that it is an action-oriented conference. So the the idea is that you go there and actually work on projects collaboratively rather than just going and like reporting on projects that you've already done. Um, I'm sure at some point we'll do a, we'll do kind of an open science episode. Um, but I think that's, that's all I'll say about that for now. Um, the other conference I go to every year is uh, the annual meeting of the Psychonomic Society. Um, that happens in the fall. It's coming up just in November in a, in a couple of weeks. Um, and that one is a you know research base where people are going to like share the ideas that they've share the research projects that they've done and talk with others about specific research projects. Um, I have sometimes gone to the Association for Psychological Science APS annual meeting, um, and I like that one. I like taking students to that one because it is lots of different areas of psychology, and so it's a nice way for students to have uh, exposure to kind of a, a wide variety of disciplines. Um, I haven't gone lately. It's always Memorial Day weekend, and I've been saving that for family stuff instead <laughs> uh-huh. of going to APS. 
hey, APS, maybe don't have your conference over a family weekend, but you know. Um, and those are, so those, those are the ones that I have gone to most commonly. I've got others here and there, but those are my regular ones. How about you? I'll tell you, but first tell me, so you kind of get into this a little bit, but what's mm-hmm. your main motivation for going to those? Oh, um, okay. So it's, so, so for SIPs, it is because I want to help improve psychological science, um, for the research based conferences. So for psychonomics and, and APS, um, Oh, it's because they're so fun. It's fun to share the projects that I have been thinking about and working hard at uh, and, you know, only talking to my lab students about. Um, it's fun to share those with a wide audience. Uh, it's fun to get fresh perspectives on on uh, the research that I'm doing. Um, it's fun to just hear about what other people are, are doing, uh, you know, learning both the research that they're doing, the techniques they're using, um, you know, the, the theoretical approaches they're taking. Uh, and it's really fun to make friends, right? Just meeting other people who have similar interests um, and, you know, meeting potential future collaborators and allies. Um, so it's it's a whole range of things. Yeah. I mean, one reason I ask is I think, at least for me, the reasons I go to, to conferences re- change over the years, right? And like even from this year to next year, there might be different things I'm looking for. Probably the two conferences I go to the most regularly recently, uh, one would still be uh, Society for Neuroscience. Uh, the other one is the Society for the Neurobiology of Language. And um, and I guess they kind of sound similar, but they're almost like opposites in terms of what I get out of them. So um, SFN is still huge and it's enormous. And um, I really enjoy hearing about research in different fields and pretty much every time I go, I get inspired by something that is not what I do. I mean, it's, you know, someone working in an animal model or just a totally different field that I never would have heard about otherwise. But then I just, it kind of goes back in the back of my head and I think about it and it kind of percolates and um, that can be really useful. And also meeting people and SFN is great because it's so huge that people from lots and lots of fields that I've met over the years um, are often there. And so it's a great like social event in that in that sense, the neurobiology of language is much more specific to what I do. It's not a small conference. It's still maybe um, I'm making this up five or six hundred people, um, but it's small enough, and I know enough of the people that it sort of um, lends itself to just kind of chatting on a more I don't know a more so a more easy social level, you know, because everyone's sort of there. There's only one set of talks, and it's easy to find people. Um, so those have been have been really useful. I do find, um, you know, so I get invited to give talks occasionally. And so I feel like like this year, most of the conferences I went to are places I got invited to give a talk at. So that's another reason to do it, which is great. But then um, that sort of uses up some of my travel because I can't be traveling all the time. And so there's a little bit of a decision like, you know, go to one because I'm giving a talk, which is good. But actually, as a participant, I might rather go to a different one for for a different reason. So I also remember uh, as a graduate student, really for most of my graduate career, okay, so so understanding that my memory might not be perfect and things like that, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, I remember going to conferences. At that time, it was like, I'm going to learn stuff, so I have to go to every talk and like learn from the experts, uh, and then I have to present my work. And both of those I actually found pretty challenging. So kind of what, what we alluded to earlier is I you know, would try to go to every talk and some of them wouldn't be relevant or some of them would feel like they're over my head. And so I kind of felt 
um, sometimes discouraged that I wasn't sort of learning as much as I wanted to or I expected myself to. And then in terms of presenting work, you know, maybe this also reflects on uh, the specific conferences I went to and what I studied. But I, you know, I had many years of just like standing by my poster for hours and no one coming over or, you know, one, or, one or two people coming over, but not having oh, poor the, little Jonathan. Know, right? <laughs> and not having the animated discussions as the other people having and people would, you know, I'd hear my, my, uh, my friends, my colleagues talk about, Oh, poster sessions are great. You get so much feedback on your work. Uh, and here I would be just standing and waiting and the SFN poster sessions are like four hours and, you know, they say you, should, you, know, you only have to have to be there for an hour. But, I, you know, someone told me once and I, I, I agreed um, that if you're able to stand there that long, you know, physically, you should just be there the whole time because not mm-hmm. everyone looks up the hour you're going to be there. And just the, the happenstance to get a good conversation is probably worth the effort. So uh, but if no one comes to your poster, it's a really long four hours. You know, you walk yeah. and get a drink of water with uh, a half mile away. So it takes a little bit of time. They come back <laughs> and then there's still no one there. So I, you know, I don't really think I internalized that. I mean, this is not like a pity party. Like no one has to email me and tell me I had a good poster now. Um, but it was just. I'm going to do it. <laughs> thanks. Um, yeah. Can you send me a handwritten note, please, actually? <laughs> uh, but it was, it was, that was actually a skill in itself, right? Is learning, is just standing there and almost like not being too depressed about it. I mean, I'm not trying to be melodramatic. I don't really think I was that depressed. I just remember being a little disappointed and sort of not getting mm-hmm, out of mm-hmm. it what I, you know, what I wanted to. So if you're out there, you're listening. I, People who have the same experience, you're not alone. You can get through it, and, and someday someone will probably come to your poster. So, what changed? What do you think changed that made people start coming to your posters? You're assuming people come to my posters now. Oh, oh you're talking about your last conference. This happened. <laughs> no, no, it has, got, it has gotten better. Well, I think you know part of it was sort of topic, right? And so, you know, a lot of my PhD was on. Um, you know, behavioral speech perception. I did some perceptual learning. Uh, and these are just not topics that a lot of people at SFN study, mm. you know, and mm-hmm. it, you know, it's a really big conference. I'm sort of off in the corner. And so I think um, had I presented that at a smaller speech workshop, uh, I would have had a different experience. And and in fact, um, Psychonomic Society was was where I presented some of that work and actually had people come up to me and be interested, uh, which mm-hmm. was great. But it, it was, you know, towards the end of my PhD, and I just remember thinking, like, how pleasant that was to have real science talks with people who knew something about perceptual learning. Um, mm-hmm. So part of it was probably I had this sort of, I felt like I had to go to SFN and I wanted to, but that probably wasn't the best outlet for my work. Sure. Uh, and then I think sure. also yep. just knowing more people, I mean, um, I guess we'll, we can maybe transition to thinking about strategies, but, but one strategy I have when I go to a conference, I mean, one obviously is I kind of look at topics I'm interested in, but I also just look at people I know, right? Like, mm-hmm. Oh, Julia's going to be here. I'm going to stop by your poster and say hi. And so mm-hmm. I think the more people, you know, the more likely people come to your poster and just chat, even if they do, you know, slightly different research. So I think just knowing mm-hmm. more people, people will come by and say hi, even if the specific topic might not be fascinating. Yeah. The um, the advice that I usually give to my students um, when they're getting ready for poster sessions, um, it, it, the, the technique that I use doesn't work for everyone. I accept that there's big individual differences in personality and this won't work for everyone. But um, my approach is to just be 
super aggressively friendly. Uh, and if anyone, if, <laughs> uh, if anyone, you know, makes the mistake of making eye contact with me when I'm standing in my poster, I will say, hi there. Are you interested in learning about how to measure listening effort? And, um, you know, they, they always are, surprisingly. Right. Um, so, so I think there's also something to be said for, you know, trying to drum up business. Yeah, I don't know. That sure. makes it sound so contrived, but, um, you well, know. it is a little, I mean, being, it is a little bit contrived though. I think being okay yeah, yeah. with that mm-hmm. is kind of mm-hmm. part of the skill you learn. Right. Mm-hmm. So what are some of the other, um, approaches that you take to making the most out of conferences? I think probably the biggest, like the biggest single change that I made in my approach was to not feel obligated to go to everything. Mm-hmm. And that kind of also coincided with getting to know more people. And so basically, I would start to cut talks in order to chat with people. Um, Mm -hmm. And a lot of times those would end up being, you know, friends of mine who we were at different institutions and didn't get to see each other. So it's, you know, instead of going to the morning session, do you want to go out and grab coffee? Um, Mm -hmm. And of course, that's kind of social. But a lot of times, because we're all scientists, we end up talking about sciencey stuff too, right? And so mm-hmm. I actually get a lot of good scientific input, you know, from those kind of social um, social interactions. So that was a big one. Mm-hmm. I think the other thing that helped me, especially in big poster sessions. So, um, I mean, I, I specifically had this experience again at SFN where, where there's just thousands of posters. You can't see them all. My What I used to do uh, and don't tell anyone my, my secret approach now, uh, I can, and it may not work for everyone, right? What I used to do is I would look up um, titles that were related to what I what I do, right? And, and this is still a good approach. But what I've often found is, you know, coming up with a good title is different from having an interesting poster. And so I would trek mm-hmm. halfway across the poster room to go to this poster that had a title that was like custom made for me. And then, you know, I'd look at the poster and it was clearly like half done or not what I thought it was going to be based on the title. I can't I can't even think of a good example. And I, I probably shouldn't share it even if I, I could. Um, <laughs> but I get disappointed. Right. So, I, you know, especially for big meetings, you can go through and have pages and pages of like, here are the 40 posters I want to see, you know, and I go to each mm-hmm. one and then like not not be satisfied. But I look around. And I would find some poster with a, a boring title, uh, no offense, and then like it would be amazing. And so I, mm-hmm. I really also kind of freed myself from meeting planners and posters and abstracts. And um, not that I don't look at them, but I really just try to walk around more and sort of, you know, see what people's poster actually looks like and, and, and um, try to engage with people. The other thing I started doing in poster sessions, like reading someone's poster is actually not that uh, meaningful to me. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I think your poster should be understandable by someone just reading it. And and it's good to be able to get information that way. But really what I like is interacting with the people who've done the work. And so I also actually try to seek out people who aren't currently talking to someone at their poster mm-hmm. so that I can actually have a chat with them about it. And, mm-hmm. and, and sometimes Sometimes it ends up being a much longer chat than I would have wanted. So, you know, it's hard to escape in those situations sometimes. Um, but most of the time, it's just a lot more fun. So, I, In other words, if there's a really popular poster with 20 people there, like that doesn't really interest me because I'm not going to get any one-on-one time with the presenter. And so I'll just kind of circle back to that one or I'll just try to read it quickly or whatever. 
But if there's another one where I actually have a chance to interact a little bit, I tend to prioritize that. And again, you can't really tell that from an abstract book. So mm-hmm. I yep. think I think basically not feeling obligated to go to everything and then also, you know, kind of ignoring the, the abstract planning uh, part of it have both been really helpful. Mm-hmm. All right. I will say um, I agree with uh, don't go to everything. That also has worked well for me. Um, but I think I've gone in the in the total opposite direction in terms of planning. Um, I have like already gotten the the Psychonomics app and started figuring out, you know, which talks are at which time and which posters are where. Um, and I really like having a clear plan of all the things that I want to do. Um, I mean, it doesn't I don't always stick to it and I may end up you know, uh, uh, kind of finding things on the way that I hadn't planned to go to. Um, But it kind of helps me overcome my like fear of missing out Mm -hmm. to be like, nope, I know what I'm going to. These are the things I'm really excited about. Um, And it also uh, helps me find like the holes in the schedule where there isn't anything that I'm super interested in. And I say, okay, I know I've got that hour free. And so if I run into so-and-so, I'll ask if they want to have coffee then or something like that. So Mm I, I mean, I'm, I'm always a, I'm always a planner and everything, but, um, but especially for conferences, I, I I tend to like to be pretty scheduled. Well, yeah. And actually, um, I mean, there are certainly benefits to that. And also if there are people you want to meet, which I think maybe we'll get to sort of the, Mm -hmm. a little bit more about that. Um, but that's also really important too, right? So if you actually want to, if I really want to say hi to Julia and I actually don't notice when your poster is because I'm in my relaxed wander around mode, like that can be (laughs) bad too. Right. So Mm -hmm, I I think mm -hmm. it is kind of a, a balance there. I think also, I mean, this is, this is also something that's changed for me that like definitely over time I've become less of a planner and and maybe Mm -hmm. I'll kind of swing back the other way. So I don't know. I think it's just, um, yeah, partly, partly just, I have no idea what word I'm looking for. Uh, (laughs) uh, something that happens, you know, over time with age or whatever. Mm -hmm. Sure. Okay. So, so one of the reasons that we go to conferences is to, I, I sometimes jokingly say, buy science and sell science, right? Like, what are you doing? You buying today or you selling today? Um, but, you know, is that we go, like, for the science, to share our work and to learn about what, what others are doing. Um, but there is so much more to conferences than that, right? That that's, that's um, when, I, when I first started going to conferences, that's what I thought the whole point was. Um, and now I do find that I get so much more out of the casual conversations that I have with people um, and the connections I make with people uh, above and beyond, you know, the actual science that we talk about. When we were talking about the different conferences, I, I mentioned the SIPs, which is about the process of science and the other kind of content related conferences that are about the, the product of science. Um, and one of the things that, that somebody said about SIPs is it, it feels like a conference where people took all of the parts of a conference that aren't the actual sessions and made a whole conference out of that. So the time that that I now find so useful about conferences is, you know, the 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 social hours, the places where you get coffee with people in between sessions to talk about a problem that you're both interested in, um, the kind of like uh, group-specific sessions. Um, those are the things that I find really useful, and that is what SIPs is primarily made out of. And so after having gone to SIPs a couple of times, it also like makes me appreciate and use those off times at regular conferences a lot more. So really looking for um, ways to make the most use of that kind of in-between time. Mm-hmm. Um, and 
when I would like early in grad school, people talked about like the importance of networking at conferences. Like you go for the science and then you also have to network. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't like really know what that means. Um, but but then I kind of came to believe that networking means making friends who are interested <laughs> right. in similar stuff. It's like a really stupid name for a really right. good thing to do. And I was like, oh, that just means making friends with people who are interested in similar stuff. Yeah, that I know how to do. <laughs> and that's that's made me uh, enjoy it so much more. I was also on the receiving end of that. Oh, you got to go to the conference and network. Uh, and I was like, okay. I, you know, that that was not helpful at all. Mm-hmm. And and I also had a specific experience. Um, I, I mean, it doesn't matter, but for the three of our listeners who will, this will mean something too. Um, it was the Cognitive Aging Conference, which is every other year it's on cognitive aging. A lot of people have been going for years and years. And so it's sort of like a, a tight knit group. And uh, it was towards the end of my PhD and my advisor, uh, Art Wingfield, was helpfully thinking about potential postdocs for me. And he introduced me to, to Naftali Raz. It must have been seven or eight times. Every time we were walking down a different poster aisle, he would catch <laughs> Naftali's eye and bring me over and say, oh, Naftali, this is Jonathan Peel. He's looking for a postdoc. And the first time, you know, it was like a little awkward, but it was fine. But, you know, by like the fourth or fifth time, it was kind of like, yeah, yeah, we, we got it. So I, I really, Art, thank you for um, advocating for me, which is, of course, what advisors should do. Um, but it it was not the easiest networking experience for either me or or poor Naftali who who had to keep getting introduced to me and um, and I have to say never offered me a postdoc so it didn't it didn't really work um, but that was sort of like my one of my early experiences and so I thought well like th- there must be a, a better way right mm-hmm. um, and so actually my my top advice, which is not, it's not rocket science, but I feel like no one ever told me this, um, was to just find people you think you want to talk to. For example, people doing similar work, people whose papers you've read, um, people who you might want to work with in the future, uh, and contact them before the conference and say, hey, can we chat? Or like, Asking if they want to get a cup of coffee is, a, I think, a totally appropriate thing to do, and that's what I usually do. But it could even be like, can you stop by my poster or can we find a, you know, can we talk for 10 minutes in the lobby? Um, so the key is that kind of being proactive about it and then also, um, you know, making it a low investment, right? Like you don't want to email someone out of the blue who you've never met and sort of ask them to like, you know, can we have dinner? Like, can we have a four hour dinner together? That's a big commitment, you know, and probably not appropriate. They're going to say no, but if you just want to chat for a few minutes and kind of get to know them, uh, that can be really helpful and kind of open up the door to future times. Right. So like the next time you see them at a conference, you're no longer strangers. You can just say, hi, you can show up with their poster, say, how's it going? You know, how's that project going that we talked about and, and so on. Um, so, I think getting to know peers is one thing, and there are probably different strategies for that. You can use this with peers too, but as a graduate student, I felt like the pressure was also to get to know not my peers, but to get to know, you know, uh, established researchers, and and that I had no idea how to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with that. I I don't think anybody ever told me to email people ahead of time. Also, um, but that's something I've figured out and and you know have have done since, uh, and I think it's a great approach. Um, has it has it worked? Yeah, yeah. Um, so let me think of a good story. Um, 
Well, so I was going to be at a conference um, that there was there was somebody who I knew from Twitter that I wanted to meet, um, and I didn't think he was going to the conference, but it was in the town where he worked. Um, and I sent him a Twitter message and said, "Hey, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to be in town. Can we get coffee?" Um, and now we're collecting data on a paper that we're collaborating on together. So um, uh, I think, and, and I have also now had people say that to me, like email me and say, I'm going to be at this conference. I see that you're going to, could we talk? Um, and that, that's so fun. I love it when people mm-hmm. do that. Yep. Um, and so I think, I think that's a great piece of advice because it also, you know, it's a very easy thing to do ahead of time. Just email and say, I read this paper. I'm working on this project. I'd love to get your input. What you're doing is cool. I have an idea, you know, just mm-hmm. anything. Um, yeah. And that, that's a really nice, easy way to make a connection that I think is less scary than just walking up to someone at a poster session and saying the same thing. Yeah. Or yeah, trying to say something brilliant, you know, like you've never met this right. person. Hi, hi, I'm Jonathan. I think you're really great. You know, like some <laughs> insert witty comment here. So they remember right. you. Yep. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Have you ever had anyone be mean to you when you've written an email? Never. M- me neither. I, I, it might mm-hmm. happen. And if it happens to mm-hmm. you, uh, listener, don't give up. I mean, I, but I mm-hmm. think it's rare. I think most people, if they're really, if they're really, really too busy, they probably won't write back to you. Mm-hmm. Uh, if they're a little bit too busy, they'll write back and say, you know, I'd love to, but I can't. But actually, I don't know if, is this a humble brag? I don't mean it. I don't think I've ever been turned down. And I think, I mm-hmm. think that's not because I, I'm so wonderful. I think it's just like scientists are nice. And if you ask people ahead of time, they usually say yes. So, mm-hmm. um, but anyway, I, I think, I think you'll have success with that. I, this, this is a, a thing that I talk with my students about, um, when they're applying to grad programs often, but, but the similar thing applies here, which is that, um, when students are applying to grad school and they're like nervous about applying the fact, uh, sorry, they're nervous about emailing the faculty that they're going to be applying to work with. I tell them like, remember, there is something that they want too. They want smart, motivated, interesting graduate students, mm-hmm. and they're really hoping that some smart, motivated, interesting graduate students will email them and get on their radar. Um, and I think that the same is is generally true with um, you know with with more senior colleagues um, for conferences too. Like they have things they want to do at conferences, um, but they're also often very interested in what junior people are working on, um, and and you know kind of keeping an eye on who's coming up that's doing work that is similar to theirs. Um, so, so don't just think of it as, boy, they'd really be doing me a favor by gracing me with 10 minutes of their time. It's also, you know, maybe you have something that, that they want to learn about, too. Yeah, exactly. I think it really is a, a two-way street. I mean, the other thing, um, there are probably, a, you know, a, a small number of sort of luminaries in every field that everyone wants to talk to and, and who are kind of perceived as being the the gatekeepers, you know, the people you really want to get in with. Um, I've, I've usually not bothered to talk to those people cause they're too busy. And, and frankly, some of them are kind of full of themselves. Um, and so, you know, if, if your if your whole list of people you want to talk to is like, they're all like Nobel prize winners who are, um, even if they're very nice, they're probably very busy. Like you don't need to network with those people. You can also like talk to their postdocs or talk to other you know, other people in the field, um, or even other graduate students who are, who you see on a poster on a paper doing similar work to yours. So, I mean, there, I think definitely it's good to get to know people who are a little further along than you, because that will help your career in certain ways, but also your peers, if you all stay in academia, which you may not, but like pretty soon they're going to be the ones, you know, 
reading your grants and papers and things like that. And so there's a lot of value to like peer networking also. And again, that, you know, the, the bar to doing that is probably lower because people are just, you know, socially, it seems more acceptable to do that, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's really important. You know, we talk about networking and I think people typically think that means getting to know big, famous hotshots in the field. Um, But I think it's far more important to make good connections with people who are at a similar career stage to you. Um, And and now at this point, like, I love getting to talk to grad students Mm -hmm. who are who are, you know, doing work that is similar to mine and seeing what they're working on. Um, So I think, yeah, it's really important when you're thinking about I'm not going to say networking. I'm going to say making friends who are interested in similar stuff um, to be thinking about doing that at, at all, all different career stages. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. And I also should put a plug in for Twitter here. I mean, I know mm-hmm. um, probably a lot of people listening to this are on Twitter because I know lots of academics are, but, but some of you aren't and that's okay. And we'll probably talk about Twitter a different time, but that can also be a, a, a nice way of breaking the ice. Um just by knowing a little bit about what someone's up to that way or saying, oh, hey, I follow you on Twitter, you know, can we get a cup of coffee or something? Um, I mean, I always appreciate meeting Twitter people in real life. Um, it sounds like you've had that experience too, Julia. So It's that, so fun. Yeah, isn't it fun? <laughs> uh, and then you enjoy Twitter more too because you actually know mm-hmm. these people. You can actually kind of put a, a face to a, to a name. Um, mm-hmm. So anyway, so I, I think that's also a really – I think that's also a sort of an easy way of, of again, breaking the ice. Mm-hmm. Honestly, if someone does a podcast and you tell them that you've heard their podcast, that will also break the ice. <gasps> I speak from personal experience. Thank you to everyone who's mentioned that to me. Um, but, you know, people people like that you know what they do and, and sort of kind of care, um, or mm-hmm. you know, at least I do. So, um, you know, that's also a, another way in. Having said all that, Julia, now you're going to be inundated with people emailing you before your next conference, telling you they follow you on Twitter and listen to your podcast. And do you have time to chat? And I bet I would be delighted if that you happens. Will say yes. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and actually, um, last year before Psychonomics, um, or like at the start of the conference, I tweeted, you know, hey, this is me. Here's what I teach. Or like, here's what I study. Here's where I work. If anyone is interested in talking about the job market for small liberal arts colleges or open science or speech perception, I'm happy to talk with you. Hmm. Hit me up. Um, and it was nice. And I, you know, made some friends and, you know, had some nice conversations uh, through people who, you know, felt uh, willing to reach out because of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that's great. I'll probably, you know, look them up again this year and see how they're doing. And I, I, I think I think um, one of the motivators that many people have for going to conferences is I'm not going to say networking, is making friends who are interested in similar stuff. And so uh, I, I really encourage people, even though it can be kind of intimidating um, or nerve wracking, to to reach out and try to make those connections. Yeah, I totally agree. One other point, and I, I will actually, so I wrote a little blog post about this a couple of years ago about um, networking, sorry, uh, scientific networking. Uh, so I'll put, a, I'll put a link to that in show notes. But Great. there's one other point, um, which I've also found is, you know, shockingly, um, many people are a little bit socially awkward, and shockingly, many scientists are a little bit socially awkward. Um, <laughs> and so, as a for you yourself, if you're you know if you're approaching someone and they seem a little bit socially awkward, it might not be you; it might be them. Mm-hmm. Um, and mm-hmm. I've so I tell myself that if I have this awkward experience, I say, well, you know what? Maybe it's just how that person is, or you know, they're having a bad day. Who knows? 
But then I've been on the receiving end of people who've wanted to meet with me. And I've also had some sometimes these little running dialogues in my head about like, oh, oh, did I meet them before? And I've now forgotten, you know, and I say, oh, nice to meet you. But they actually we, you know, we chatted a couple of years ago and now they're offended. And and do I know their try, advisor? Yeah, try having terrible face recognition and then going to conferences. For you, it's probably the worst, right? (laughs) Who are you again? Um, And so so I've been like the awkward one a little bit sometimes. And, you know, for all these reasons that I don't always share in the moment, right? So um, I, I think, you know, we can all cut each other a little bit of slack. But if you are feeling intimidated, if you're a little more junior, if that's the reason, um, just, you know, be encouraged that like some people are just awkward and you can still have a nice chat and they still know your name and that still counts as making friends who like, you know, interesting things. Mm-hmm. Um, also, when we talk about making friends who are interested in similar stuff, uh, what we've talked about so far makes it sound like very strategic, like you've got to seek out people that you want to, you know, seek out particular people who are big in the field, seek out the people who are at your same stage who are doing, you know, similar stuff. Um, But I also use conferences as just an opportunity to just make friends with whoever is sitting next to me, right? Like you're standing in line for coffee, or you're like in between talks, or whatever, because even if you don't have any like direct reason to believe that person is terribly interesting or interested in similar stuff, if they're at the conference, there's a good chance they're interested in something that's at least related. Right. Um, and, and I've made, you know, really good conference friends um, and, and great connections just by, like, striking up conversations with people in those, in those kind of awkward downtimes. It also helps keep those times from being awkward if, you know, right. you've got a buddy. Well, and the more, like, people you said hi to, the less awkward the conference is because next time you'll yeah, see yep. them, you can wave and say hi or whatever. Yep. Uh, the other point, I guess, so again, we have been talking about being really strategic and intentional. And I think a part of that, um, well, I guess I just want to put it like a, put it in context. It's not so much to be, or, or from my perspective, it's really not so much that you're trying to like game the system and meet the famous person who's going to like magically make your career successful or whatever. It's really just like, like you put it, Julia, just kind of making friends who are interested in similar stuff. But for some of us, that's hard to do. So like for me, I've had to be really intentional about um, being a little more extroverted and also like being strategic to meet those people. But really, it's Mm -hmm. just like it's fun to know people. And now that I have friends in a lot of these different fields, the conferences are so much more fun. So, Mm -hmm. you know, kind of going back to my story about my very first conference where I had like no friends at the conference, you know, that it was fine, but it was kind of lame. And now, um, not all the time, but most of the time, you know, a lot of the conference is just is talking to people, uh, mm-hmm. not at a poster necessarily. Right. And so mm-hmm. um, and that and that's really been really valuable, again, socially, but also scientifically. I've just learned a lot from people that way. So it's mm-hmm. it's, you know, yeah, being strategic, but I think in a uh, I don't know, in a positive way. I, I also um, was really delighted when I realized that, you know, if you sit down next to someone at a conference uh, and you're both waiting five minutes for the next talk to start or something, um, you're allowed to just lean over and say, hi, I'm Julia. Have you heard about anything cool today? What are you working on? What did you make of that last talk? You know, that you don't have to, that it, that it doesn't have to be like, hello, my contention is that the constructive <laughs> right. listening effort is, you know, that, uh-huh. that, <laughs> yeah. I don't know, maybe shockingly that you can just talk to other humans like they're humans and not like they're scientists. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's also made me feel much more comfortable about 
about these exchanges is that you don't have to talk just about science with everyone. Mm -hmm. But I also like your idea that there are some kind of open-ended questions that you could talk about science that aren't mm -hmm. like super specific. Mm -hmm. What mm -hmm. are you working on? Or like, you mm -hmm. know, what, what was the most interesting thing you heard today or whatever? Um, mm -hmm. I think those are really great too. Mm -hmm. Th that's not something I've done. I don't think I've, uh, I've hardly ever struck up a, a conversation like waiting for a talk to start, but I like the idea. Okay. So that's my oh. challenge is I will, yeah, I don't think I have. Yeah. Yeah. I like it. I mean, I, I, right. I, I like making new friends. I just, I try to talk to people everywhere always, but conferences are just such a great opportunity because nobody thinks you're trying to steal their money or something when you randomly strike up a conversation <laughs> right. with them. Right. Oh, I, I should say this is a very specific example, but I'm going to share it because it was relevant for me and maybe relevant for someone else. The other advice I always got at conferences is go talk to your program officers, um, NIH program officers. And as a graduate student who did like not have an NIH grant, this was befuddling to me. And so uh, several times I would wander down to the NIH row and, you know, go up and try to say hi to someone. And it was always super awkward. Um, and I, again, not everyone has that experience. And the program officers are great. I just think they were kind of like, well, what can I do for you? And and I was like, someone told me to come over and, and say hi <laughs> and network with you. Um, so it was, that didn't work so well. Uh, and, I, and, I, and I did try a few strategies, all of which failed. Like, I'm going to ask a question about, you know, F32 fellowships. And then, you know, They'd be like, here's a brochure about fellowships. I'm like, well, I'm just trying to it's use it as an excuse website. to get to know. Yeah. So, mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. so that also has gotten easier. I mean, I don't know the right way to do it. I mean, now that I do more with grants, I have more to talk about with them. So now it's not mm -hmm. like forced. It's like a natural thing. Like, hey, good to see you, you know, whatever. So I don't, I don't know how to do that as a more junior person. But if you're getting that advice, I don't know. It probably is good advice, but I don't know how to fix that problem. Mm-hmm. I will say they're all super nice. So all the all the program um, officers that I've ever talked with have been really nice and have not bitten my head off for coming to say hi. It's just we didn't really have deep conversations. Mm -hmm. Another piece of advice that I didn't get, but I wish I had, um, is to take really detailed notes during conferences. Like if you see an interesting talk uh, and you think you're going to remember what was interesting about it, at least for me, um, I, I don't remember. Um, and so I take a lot of notes while things are going about what's, you know, what was interesting, what I want to remember, um, and then especially what I want to follow up about. So I just will have like a running list going um, on my phone of these are all the people you should write emails to as soon as the conference is over and, and why. And so a lot of times that'll be like, oh, you were going to send so-and-so this paper of yours they were interested in. You were going to email so-and-so and ask for their paper. Um, you were going to write to so-and-so and, you know, take some notes about this silly project idea you thought up at one in the morning or something. Um, and, and then actually, you know, go and follow up on those because I think the difference between, um, I think there is a big difference between someone that I randomly met in line waiting for coffee and had a nice talk with and someone who I'm actually going to like stay connected to in the field for years going forward is just whether or not I write them that email afterwards. Mm -hmm. Like, in both scenarios, I just met them having coffee and had a nice conversation. But if you have a couple emails back and forth, that's, I feel like, just helps people remember you and make that connection. And then the next time you want to reach out for them, you remember their name and, you know, already have that history. Mm -hmm. And so I think doing those follow-ups afterwards is is really useful, too. Yeah, I think that works really well for posters also. So a lot of people 
um, back in my day, maybe people still do this, right? We'll like print out little little copies of the poster to have, so you can take a little copy with you if you wanted to mm-hmm. remember what the poster is, which is great. So approach number one that I've done as a as a conference attendee is to go to a poster. Oh, this looks really interesting, and I'll go over and I'll I'll steal one of those pieces of paper and I'll put it in a folder and then like walk away. Uh, and so first mm-hmm. of all, I'll lose I'll lose the piece of paper, you know, which is no good. But then I haven't interacted with the person at the poster, you know, if they were busy mm-hmm. and they didn't have time to talk, you know. So another strategy is, you know, to email them a week after the conference when they've come home and like done their laundry or whatever, uh, and say, hey, I really you know, enjoyed your poster. Do you have a PDF you can send me? Um, And then you've initiated sort of like a little one-on-one connection. And if you have questions about it, you can ask them and it's not weird. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, And then you, you know, again, you, like you said, you kind of leave the door open to future communication. And I, you know, of all the times I did that, you know, how many of those people am I still in touch with? I don't know, but it, um, it certainly made it more possible. And sometimes all you need is one of those to work out, to find your next colleague or advisor or graduate student or whatever kind of connection friend. you're looking for. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Thanks. Mm-hmm. Thanks. Yeah. Friend. Yeah. Okay. And here's one last free hint for everyone. Uh, As many of you have experienced, if you're at a bigger conference, what happens at lunchtime, right? The talk right before lunch ends and everyone streams out into the streets and like the first hundred people get all of the tables at every cafe. And then everyone else (laughs) is like either wandering around for miles in this like food desert trying to find lunch or you're stuck. If there is a big like convention center, you wait an hour and a half in line for like an old ham sandwich that you pay $18 for um, and those are all bad options. So that so my my free advice to you is consider um, meeting someone for lunch during that last talk if it's one you think you can skip, and then just go to lunch at like eleven, and you'll have a nice leisurely lunch at the restaurant of your choice, and then you have all afternoon to go to all the other talks. Or, nice pro tip. Thanks. Or you could like pack a peanut butter sandwich, but that's no fun. So just go to lunch early, <laughs> beat the crowds. You'll thank me. Okay, so uh, as we wrap up, Julia, I think I know what our challenge should be for everyone, and that is <laughs> the next conference you go to, be it this week, this month, next year, make a new friend. And if you're going to Psychonomics, have it be me. <laughs> <laughs> Again, I think you're cheating a little bit here, but that's I'll, I'll allow it. <laughs> I'll allow it. Good. All right. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. Talk to you next time. All right. Sounds good. Bye. Bye.